Hi, and welcome to Strangers on the Internet, a podcast about making online dating work for you. My name is Irina Manta, and I'm a professor at the Maurice A. Dean School of Law at Hofstra University. I'm also a dating coach and a consultant for the dating app industry. And I'm Michelle Lang, a senior lecturer in psychology at Christopher Newport University in Virginia and a clinical psychologist in private practice. All views expressed in this podcast are our own and not our employers. Last time, we talked about how to have a happy romantic relationship. Today, we have with us a special guest who has done a lot of thinking about what makes for a good life and who will chat with us about her experiences with modern dating. Can you be an academic, a mom, a coach, and find love in the Tinderlands? What's it like dating as an introvert? And what was the Catgate incident all about? Come hear about British philosopher Dr. Rebecca Roach's journey to find love. We are so lucky to have with us today Dr. Rebecca Roach, who is a senior lecturer in philosophy at Royal Holloway, University of London in the UK. Among her many academic accomplishments, Rebecca has a PhD from the University of Cambridge and has a book coming out with Oxford University Press on the topic of swearing. In 2018, she was listed as one of the top 100 philosophers on Twitter. She's also a life coach and the host of the Academic Imperfectionist podcast, which we definitely recommend listening to for helpful insights on issues such as productivity or work-life balance. Rebecca, welcome. Why don't you tell us a bit about your life and your journey with dating apps? Thanks for having me. Yeah, so I I suppose you want to know about my life insofar as it pertains to dating. I was always in the past quite a sort of serial monogamist. Um, I just had sort of one boyfriend after another, not that long in between and so my dating life was pretty boring or uneventful anyway but now I I've been a single parent for the last gosh six years like completely sole parent and I've had a a few relationships but mostly I've been single and actually a lot of the time I like that I think something that I've discovered in the last couple of years is sort of how to enjoy my own company which has kind of made me quite uh, quite insular, I guess. I do quite like just hanging out on my own, watching Netflix or reading a book in the evenings, like in my gym jams at 9pm, knitting or whatever with my four cats. It's always like <laughs> already turning into like a complete spinster story. But yeah, I'm sort of, I suppose I'm at a stage where I'm thinking, I, you know, I'm only really interested in dating if it's going to sort of add something positive to my life. It's not something that I kind of feel like I I need in order to, you know, fulfill something that I'm otherwise lacking or, you know, kind of plug an, a gap in my existence. So, yeah, I've been using dating apps on and off for the past few years. And that's how I met about four last partners I met through dating apps but they are just incredibly depressing of course as we all know Um, and actually that that's one thing I really like about this podcast because it's you know sort of using dating apps is kind of quite lonely and depressing right and it's quite nice to have a bit of solidarity going through that process Um, I'm actually at a stage now where I'm I'm in two minds about it I'm thinking oh maybe I'll just maybe I just won't use these anymore 
Yeah, I think I just find this process so frustrating that you, you know, it, it's so hard to judge people when you look at them for, I mean, in one, in one sense, it's just capitalism, right? You're just kind of overwhelmed with choice and you kind of get picky and you don't consider any option for very long. But, um, but yeah, I, I'm sort of, I'm kind of fed up with the swiping. It's, uh, I'm, getting, I'm getting a bit jaded with it. Rebecca, I think it's really amazing what you said. And I think goals for a lot of us to get to the place where you love your own company and where you are happy at home or or off and about by yourself. You know what makes you happy. You enjoy your, doing the activities you like. It doesn't require somebody else to be there, but there are times where you decide, okay, maybe I'm ready to invite somebody else into my world. or Or do you decide... I'm ready to learn something else. I guess my question for you is, to the best of your insight, what makes you decide, okay, now's the time I'm going to hop back on the apps? Because when you are so content within yourself, and whether you are, so I'm thinking for our listeners, we have listeners who are in that boat. We also have listeners who are just extreme introverts who don't get out much and don't meet people much, who may still have a similar kind of question of what makes it worth it to jump on these apps? Yeah, yeah, I think that's a great question. And I have, over the past few years, I've been on these apps, despite being not not particularly highly motivated to date anyone. And I've just sort of asked myself, like, what am I doing? Why am I even doing this? I, I don't know, especially during the lockdown, like, can I be asked to put mascara on? and try and pretend that I occasionally wear something other than pajama trousers. Like, well, not really. <laughs> I think, um, I don't know, maybe fear of missing out is part of it. Uh, and maybe, I don't know whether I have been, you know, even though I'm sort of reasonably cynical about the way that romance is characterised in, in cultures like the US and the UK, like maybe I have been infected by this this idea that, you know, just somewhere out there, there's the one and you know it's gonna everything's gonna fall into place I mean I don't I don't really believe any of that but I don't know maybe maybe part of me does but no I think this being content with my own company I think it's good and bad I think the good part of it is like when I think back to some of the relationships I've had you know when I was in my 20s I think a lot of the time I just had this I just didn't like being on my own and I was kind of afraid of being on my own and I think I put up with a lot of, you know, sort of non-ideal connections, put it that way. But, um, but you know, and I, I just wouldn't do that now. Somebody would have to, that they have to be more enjoyable than my own company, and my own company is pretty enjoyable. Um, so, um, so there's like the, the standards are higher now. But also, there was this. I dated somebody for a few weeks. A while ago, I'll be vague with the time frames in case they listen to this. Uh, but um, yeah, I was I was dating this guy who was he was like perfectly perfectly nice, but every time he was at my house, I sort of had this alternate reality playing in my brain where I'd be thinking, if he wasn't here, I could be doing this. You know, if he wasn't here, I could be like watching some shit movie on Netflix or like you know I could be making progress with my knitting and and I sort of just had this yearning for my you know being on my own and sort of how much fun I would be having if if he wasn't there which I which was an alien experience uh you know at that time that that wasn't something I'd ever had before 
so I think, you know, if I'm ever going to have another boyfriend again, and I'm kind of in two minds about, about whether that's going to happen, but it has to be someone that's sort of, whose company is enjoyable enough that I'm not kind of thinking. Oh, I wow. think that's really lovely, again, that you that you are in a position where you can make that determination of this person is really nice and really lovely. Still, there are things that I would rather do with my own time. And and I, I think that that harkens back to something we've talked about maybe a couple of times in the podcast. And certainly me as a therapist, you both doing some coaching may have had these conversations with clients before too. But certainly as a therapist, I have had to tell many people somebody being nice, a nice guy or a nice girl is a prerequisite. It's not criteria enough mm. to decide to date somebody. And it's okay to to decide not to date somebody who's perfectly nice or perfectly lovely. It really needs to be that and more, that and compatibility, that and they they add something that that is meaningful to you. And so, Rebecca, would you say it is more individualized? What would make somebody want to to venture back into the apps to what is it that allows you to know this person is worth my time or is it something that's going to be different for everybody mm, yeah it's it's tricky isn't it i so i i suppose i think maybe i'll preface this by saying that i think that the circumstances of the individual play a role here. Like I'm, I'm sure part of it for me is the fact that I'm a sole parent and, you know, my evenings after the kids have gone to bed, that's like my, I have a couple of hours of just relaxation time when I can do what I want. I can do anything that's possible in my living room right? or in my house, as long as it's not too noisy. And so, you know, I don't have spare time that I'm willing just to fritter away you know it's not like I have sort of weeks on end that I can fill with you know taking a gamble about whether a particular stranger is going to be interesting or not so I think that makes a difference but also I mean when you think about the way this works with internet dating you're basically just taking a gamble on meeting up with a stranger and hoping that their company is going to be enjoyable which we accept uh, in the world of dating, but I mean, it would be pretty weird to pick your friends like that and be like, oh, God, you know, shall I go for, shall I go for a coffee with this person that I don't know for a couple of hours, like a couple of hours of my life, I'm never going to get back. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess we might think, well, no, why would you bother? Why not just choose someone that you already know? But with, you know, with using dating apps, that's what you're doing. It's just like some stranger, you know, if you don't, if they're not fantastic, then God, that's another shit movie on Netflix I could have watched. Yeah, ironically, the three of us all met on the internet, but it's a bit of a different, <laughs> it's a bit of a different circumstance. It was a bit more organic, like around shared interests yeah. and so on and so forth. So I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, I'm getting the sense, Rebecca, that when you have dipped your toes back into the dating pool, that you actually tend to find people reasonably quickly, like compared to some other people we know, like it hasn't been, you know, it didn't take like years or anything like that to find, to find a boyfriend or something like that. And I was wondering if you could comment a little bit on whether just from conversations, you're observing differences between dating in Europe or maybe specifically the UK and, uh, and, and the United States and, 
you know, and I'm also hoping at uh, at some point along the way, you tell us uh, you tell us the story of Capgate and how that all played into it. So I know I just threw a whole bunch of stuff at you. Yeah, uh, I I laughed out loud when I saw that in the in the notes. Yeah, I've I've only dated in the UK. So I, I mean, I, I sort of have some ideas about how it compares to, for example, dating in the US, but not from personal experience. Yeah, so I'm increasingly thinking, and, and this, so what I'm about to say could be an important insight that I've made about myself, or it could just mean that I, um, that I just don't give people a chance. But it occurred to me that I think I can tell from like the first message that someone sends on a dating app whether... I'm going to have time for them or whether it's going to be a case of, well, you know, there's nothing wrong with them. I should give them a chance. Like, you know, as if my dating life is a kind of equal opportunities to kind of democracy, which of course it's not, it's a, it's an autocratic state with a kind of irrational dictator me. Um, (laughs) But yeah, you know, I, I sort of, I don't know. I think if, if someone can, sometimes you just sort of get a sense from just a very short message whether somebody's on your wavelength I think and and that's often how it works out you know when I think about um, some of the more successful connections I've had and and how I've sort of felt that we clicked quite early on even before meeting in person rather than you know sort of thinking okay well this isn't I'm not feeling this but let's carry on getting to know each other and you know sort of see see what comes up and I think, you know, maybe it's just me getting older and more miserable, but, you know, I think, oh, God, I, I, I feel like I just want to, like, a, what, what, one of those game shows where they just have, like, a, a red buzzer that they can press uh, to, to get rid of someone. I'm sort of thinking, I kind of need something like that. If you could do so that tactfully. You, so, so with Catgate, you have that connection, right, originally, but then red button time, I guess, came around like you tell our listeners the story or the parts that that are you know for public consumption um so this was the the first the first time I met somebody on a dating app after the breakdown of a really long relationship I had that was quite abusive and so I was coming out of that a bit broken or at least thinking I might be broken and connected with this man on a dating app who was quite kind of love bomby in retrospect you know he was sort of very full-on and complimentary and you know sort of really nice to me early on and I think now that would raise a bit of a red flag um you know you might think okay this person might be really nice or they might just be you know saying saying what they think they need to say in order to achieve a particular end but anyway that's kind of how it worked out and he was kind of quite insistent about meeting up you know at that time I was sort of not sure about meeting somebody I was still kind of licking my wounds a bit he wanted a phone conversation which I kind of put a stop to immediately it's like god what sort of psychopath wants a phone conversation (laughs) it's not 1996 but yeah, we, we met up and he was, he paid for everything. I, I'm really not a sort of, I'm, I'm someone that, you know, we go calves on a date. I'm not someone that's kind of like worship at my feet, pay for everything. But yeah, he, he paid for everything. The relationship got going quite quickly. The short story, the short version of this story was that he turned out to be 
a narcissist, super manipulative. You know, after a while, that sort of initial love bombing phase moved on. And he started sort of in retrospect, he was he was sort of like trying to find a weak spot. He's sort of trying to make me feel insecure. Um, and he tried a few angles before he found something that worked. He told me that I needed to lose weight quite early on, which I I didn't react very well to. I was like, fuck you. I was, um, you know, I don't I don't need to lose weight. And so it's almost like he thought, OK, I'll let that one go. I'll try something else. So, uh, yeah, there were, there, were, there were a few little digs. Um, and then he kind of settled on uh, criticising my parenting, which is a bit of a, a vulnerable spot for me because, you know, I suppose sort of any any single parent, especially, you're sort of constantly feeling like, oh, God, am I am I giving my children enough attention? You know, am I I'm stretched so thinly, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, he, he sort of kept there was this sort of constant stream of criticism and just sort of wearing wearing me down a bit. But yeah, the, the Catgate incident, or, or sort of what it what later became known as the cat, <laughs> the Catgate incident, um, I had to go. I had to go away for work, to, just to a, a couple of nights, do some speaking things, and I was bringing my kids with me, which I always have to do. So I only ever go away with work if if childcare is going to be included and so on. But it was in a place that's quite nice and it's, it's something I've done a few times and I, I invited him along. You know, I said, you know, I've got to do a few speaking things, but if you want to come, it's, you know, it's not going to take up all my time. And then we can, you know, sort of go and explore the local area, etc. So we all went, me, him and my two kids. And we got there and there was a total balls up with the childcare in that they didn't have any they'd forgot to organize it so he kind of stepped in and said don't worry I'll I'll look after the kids kind of you know made himself indispensable which at the time I was sort of super grateful for and I was out doing this evening speaking gig and I got back to the Airbnb where we were staying and my kids were in bed and he was sitting sitting in the garden drinking a glass of wine so I went and joined him um, and a cat, like a neighbourhood cat, came into the garden, um, which was a really nice cat. I mean, all cats are really nice cats, but but it was a really nice cat. <laughs> so we were sitting there chatting and I started to make friends with it, you know, sort of calling it over and stroking it. And he he had this kind of weird tantrum about it. Like he, he told me to stop, stop, do- <laughs> stop talking to the cat and started saying stuff like, the cat's interrupting our conversation. Um, he said, what you're doing by talking to the cat is kind of basically the equivalent of me going out onto the street, inviting a stranger to join us for our evening drinking wine in the garden. Like that's that's as bad as what you're doing by just sort of interacting to this cat, which I which I just thought was really strange. There was this sort of point... So, you know, this sort of background of what had been happening where he was sort of just gradually turned from this kind of really attentive, complimentary person into someone that was sort of really critical and, you know, sort of I almost couldn't do anything right. And I think, you know, when that happens, there's this period of time where you're sort of thinking, oh, God, I'm doing I'm doing everything wrong. You know, that where you're sort of thinking he's he's making complaints and they are presumably legitimate so I'll just try and behave myself or I'll try and do better, whatever it might be. But 
during this weird cat conversation, there was a sort of shift where I was just sort of thinking like, maybe it's not me. <laughs> like maybe, maybe it's him. You know, he is, he's jealous of a cat. And, and in the end, he, um, he sort of got up, took his glass of wine, went indoors and went, and took it upstairs to bed. And I was, left out alone in the garden with the cat which in retrospect was a pretty good result but I I picked up my phone and I was I can remember like texting people saying like this is what's just happened like what the fuck has just gone on like is this this is weird <laughs> like seeking reassurance from other people like this is weird isn't it that he's kind of stormed off upstairs because I was making fun of the cat but yeah, anyway, that that's that's what happened, and and the the incident became known among a certain group of people who know me as the Catgate incident. And then he's just, I, I'm sure, like probably lots of people who remember the incident who know me probably can't even remember what he's called except for Catgate. But yeah, that that relationship didn't last didn't last the the remainder of the week I think after that very strange turn of events well I think that that was a question I was definitely wondering is how long did the relationship last after that and you are probably rare in that you were able to accept the signs that you saw that day and and come to the conclusion to end the relationship that early on. I think a lot of the times people are quick to excuse this bad behavior or really, as you said, well, you said you got to the point where you were thinking, you know, maybe it's not me, maybe it's him. But so often people do the opposite. They'll, mm. they'll be like, well, what about me is causing it to be this way? Or he said it's me. So it probably is me. We're so quick to doubt ourselves and to be self-critical rather than to question, could it be the other person? And so I think it's really awesome in your case that you were able to take that sign for what it was. And I also kind of just want to highlight for our listeners a couple of things from what you said. One thing I noticed in this story, you said this was your first dating relationship outside of your long-term abusive relationship. That's right. Yeah. Yes. So that is a common pattern that that happens for people is the first person who doesn't just obviously terribly uncategorically suck that you meet right outside of your first of your breakup of either a long-term relationship or an abusive or toxic relationship and certainly if it was both it's very common for people to to fall for the first person who they meet who just isn't the worst. Um, and we elevate them. We're like, they're the best because they're so much different than this terrible crap I was dealing with in my last relationship. Or even in the case of just long-term relationships that have lost that spark, it's just exciting to have a spark with somebody again. And so we have a tendency to make it into something probably better than it is. And so the fact that you were very interested, you introduced this guy to your kids, had him come on a trip with you, that strikes me as very common in what happens uh, after people have broken up from a long-term relationship or a toxic or abusive or all of the above. Um, and so something we've talked about on this show before is during that phase, you and anyone else in that position are vulnerable to narcissists, 
to other predatory type of people, con people, because they do, they're good at reading people and they understand that you've been through it. They understand that they just have to show you some kindness and, and then they come in with the love bombing. And so again, I think it was very wise of you to, to have a little bit of a question about the love bombing, you know, why is he being so nice to me? You, you know, and on one hand, you don't want people to have to think that, they're being nice to you because why wouldn't somebody be nice to you? But when it is excessive, over the top, uh, that really could be love bombing. And it's important for our listeners to understand that you are in a vulnerable position if you're freshly out of a long-term or toxic or abusive relationship. These narcissists, these con people are looking for somebody uh, in that kind of circumstance because they have to exert very minimal effort to, to get you to like them. And then the coming back to what you said about realizing maybe it's not me, maybe it's them. I think that is something I really want to encourage our listeners to consider in these moments where you have tension. I mean, look, it is important to ask, is it me? But it's also important to ask, could it be them? And what I encourage people to do is look for evidence for both positions. Look and just see kind of which position wins out. And so in that case, you know, I love what you did. One thing you did was you consulted with your friends. It's good to have friends and to reach out to your friends and to consult and say, hey, would you tell me the truth if I'm the one who's being problematic here? So I think having friends that you feel comfortable running some of these things by could be really important, as well as just looking for evidence about that person's behavior in general. Like you just, the analogy he made didn't sit well with you. You're like, no, cat is really not like some random stranger from the street. That seems objectively correct. Um, and so I think that's really important. I think there are different kinds of signs. You know, the one that I always recommend to people, I don't know if it's foolproof, but it's about as close to it as I can think of. I'd be curious if you know this about him, is I always think if I'm trying to figure out, is it me or them? I look to who are their friends and what are their relationships like with other people in their lives? And when they either don't have good friendships or if they have friendships and maybe even good friendships, but the people who they have the friendships with are not the best people, I tend to count that as evidence of maybe it's you, not me. What do you think? What was it? Did he have good quality friends? Yeah, you're really putting your finger on something there that, that took me a while to learn. Absolutely. So, so he and also the the abusive ex who I was with for like nine years neither of them had friends the the longer term guy he did kind of come to have friends but they were friends he'd met since he met me and I think that is really important if somebody if somebody doesn't seem to have friends you can got to ask yourself why might that be I know people can struggle making and keeping friends for all sorts of reasons some of which are completely innocent work-life balance having to move around a lot maybe even you know if, if somebody's an immigrant and they sort of don't, don't just don't know anybody um, in the country they've settled in but if none of that applies and, and a person just doesn't seem to have people who have been willing to stick around and spend time with them over a period of years like that's that's a red flag to me now having been something I it just wouldn't have occurred to me to wonder about before. Yeah, and I also, I, ju I just want to go back as well to this, what you were talking about, if you've had some bad experiences and you're maybe a bit vulnerable and, you know, for a start, your standards just go right down. <laughs> it's like, God, is this person actually a criminal? If not, maybe they're, maybe they're showing promise, right? 
But I think one thing, one real worry that I had coming out of that abusive relationship was that I ended up believing an awful lot of lies. Like I'm, and so I came out of that thinking, God, I'm super gullible. I can't, I have really bad intuitions about people. I can't trust my gut, basically. I, I'm really bad at judging stuff. Um, and that really worried me for a while until I realized that actually that wasn't true. I did have all the right sorts of intuitions. I just kind of swallowed them down. You know, I'd seen the red flags and I had, you know, rationalized them away. You know, I, I basically kind of ignored this part of me that was kind of screaming, there's, you know, there's something really wrong here um, for various reasons. And with this this Catgate guy, I think even before that, the cat incident, there were signs. I mean, I'm seeing them in retrospect, but there were signs that I, I knew something wasn't right. So, you know, even before I was sort of conscious of it not being a happy situation, um, there was this time when he'd left his he left a jumper at my house and it was over the, he'd, he'd left it hanging over the back of a chair. And I walked past, I sort of brushed past it um, one day when he wasn't there. And I just got a whiff of his aftershave, which I associated with him. You know, I, I don't think I'd smelt it on anyone else, but just having that whiff of what he smelt like made my stomach turn. It just sent this real wave of anxiety through me. And I'm, I don't think I listened to that at the time, but but you know that was that that was my body telling me that something was wrong, and I think we, especially if you are intelligent, and we kind of think, well, you know, I'm kind of above. I'm an intellectual. I'm above the level of you know having to listen to my gut, but you're not. I think you know, sort of learning to listen to what your body's telling you about things like this, uh, you know, about things we've, I mean, we've kind of evolved for this, right? We've evolved to make positive connections with people, positive romantic connections, I guess. And, and I think I'm much more tuned into that now. But I think, you know, that that's like, to my mind, for anyone who's kind of worried about being taken advantage of, or, you know, sort of ending up with somebody who doesn't, who, who ends up not being as good as they seem to be. I, I think that's, that's probably the most important thing you can do is just learn to listen to your gut, like listen to your body. If it, you know, if it feels bad, it probably is bad. You know, I think that's such an interesting and important point that you just made, because I think one thing that smart people, including academics like ourselves do is we're, we're very good at looking at all sides of an issue. So whether we look at Michelle as a psychologist, you, Rebecca, as a philosopher, or myself as a law professor, that's part of what we're supposed to do, is we're supposed to look at all sides of a problem and all sides and all the equities. And it becomes easy to rationalize or to find reasons for, oh, I'm going to give this person the benefit of doubt because this weird thing might have happened. There might be a reason they're reacting this way. Like maybe his mother never paid attention to him because she was always talking to the cat. I don't know. You know, I'm just making something up here. Right. But, but you, you could come up with a story where he is not a bad guy. And one of the things that I thought about in, in my own work is that because the pool is the way it is. Whereas we know from studies, there are small number of men that tend to have the qualities that attract a lot of women, whereas there, is a, there are a lot of women with positive 
qualities to go around that there is a really strong incentive to overlook red flags. And you know, I'm going to have to do this whole thing again, and I'm going to have to talk to all these dads. And one question I was, where I was wondering what your thoughts are on this is clearly there is a need for social progress in this area. And uh, you may have seen uh, a couple of days ago, the piece in psychology today that made some waves, right? That talked about how, oh, there are these men who are all single now because they don't have any of the, uh, the qualities that women want or women have now raised the bar. How do we go? And it sounds like you have justifiably raised your bar for what you expect before you enter a relationship with somebody. How do you think we, we go from the point we're at now where more and more women maybe are realizing, heterosexual women are realizing we need to do that to men actually, let's say the ones who in good faith really want to, like, how do we get to the point where men actually meet that bar, where men learn the skills necessary to, to get there? And well, I, I said in good faith, but I mean, to the extent some of them do not have that good faith, how do we even get to the point where they develop that good good faith and that sense of morality? So I'm I'm, I'm trying to get your, uh, I guess, uh, sociological, psychological and philosophical take on, on all this, because I'm sure you've given that some thought. Yeah, and I think in some ways this goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning and sort of, um, you know, the, the question of how happy are you in your own company I mean, in a way, it's, I mean, apologies for this crass analogy, but, you know, if you're in the market for a new car and you go into a car dealership and you, there's no question you need a car this afternoon, you're not going away without one, right? You're in a pretty weak position. You're just going to end up taking the best that's, that you can get on that day in that showroom. Whereas, you know, if you're kind of like, okay, well, I can a car's going to add to my life, right? But I don't need one. There's other transport options available to me. So, you know, you're willing to walk away. You, you know, you're in a much stronger position then. You can kind of hold out for for the right car for you or maybe never get a car. And I think there's something like that is going on here. You know, if you are someone who kind of needs a relationship in their life, you need to be with somebody, then you are in quite a weak position, I think you know, you're kind of like, oh, God, I can't, I can't spend another month single. I can't, you know, I've already knitted so many socks, I can't bear to, <laughs> whatever it might, whatever my dream lifestyle might, might come across to other people. But, you know, that, and I do know people like this. And they're not necessarily kind of weak, needy people. They are just people who might have, you know, really, really struggled with the lockdown, right? There are some people that just kind of, they have this hunger for human connection, and 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 so that you know there are people who think oh, God, i got i just really 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 want a relationship i want to be with somebody and i think in that situation you are vulnerable to dropping your standards right because <laughs> if you really want a relationship and everything that's out there is you know doesn't tick all your boxes then you're either on your own or you're going to have to sort of reevaluate what you're willing to accept but on the other hand you know if you have a fulfilling Reason, let's say reasonably fulfilling satisfying life and being single is not a, a sort of depressing prospect for you then you know it's still a bummer if you if you would quite like to be with somebody but there's nobody suitable around but I think you know you're in a you're in a position where you're able to make more reflective and thoughtful choices and maybe kind of hold out for 
someone who is, you know, a really good connection for you rather than just whatever Mr. or Ms. right now, whatever it might be. So do you think that's what it's going to take collectively is just for enough women to say no? I <laughs> ultimately, right? I mean, that that men are like, oh, uh, I guess we're going to have to change our behavior. Like, how do we, how do we make that progress? Well, how I'll we take the next step as a society. I, I'll, I'll tell you something that occurred to me, a little insight I had uh, sometime within the past year, but I can remember, so my parents got divorced when I was, I think, 20 so so my mum would have been sort of mid 50s and she didn't have another relationship like that was it she was single she got divorced and then she was single and I remember sort of at the time again you know when I was in my 20s looking around and seeing this happen you know, sort of seeing friends mothers who you know they're they broken up with their long-term partner they got divorced or whatever and they were just single you know they, they had kids but that they were just single and I remember thinking you know like a kind of really ridiculous 20-something insight oh god it sucks to be the wrong side of 40 like nobody wants them these poor women they're gonna have to be alone forever oh my god how awful and like now I'm thinking these are women who'd had kids and they'd had a relationship and they were probably relishing a bit of time alone after getting divorced and so on. And, you know, and there were no dating apps and they're probably thinking, I can't, I can't be asked. I've had kids. It's not like I'm, I have a biological clock to take into account. You know, financially, maybe things are okay. And, and I think that they're, they're probably what, well, what, what might have been happening is that, you know, the, these weren't kind of sad old spinsters, as I assumed they were in my 20s. They were just women who kind of didn't really, they didn't really need a relationship. And they had friends and they had homes. Um, you know, they were, they, they didn't need somebody in their life to help support them financially or, you know, to kind of fill some lack that they had. And I... Uh, and it sort of occurred to me a couple of times over the last couple of years, it's like, oh God, I think I think I might be there. I think, you know, I think I might, I think that might be my my moment now, where I'm sort of thinking, you know, relationships are nice and and it's and it's wonderful to, you know, make a really good connection with somebody and and sort of really feel really close to somebody and feel like they're an asset in your life and they, you know, that you kind of open yourself up to new and joyful experiences blah blah blah, blah. All, all that's wonderful but you know if you're in a situation where you're thinking that's that's all nice but I don't kind of need it you know it's a nice it's a cherry on the top it's not something that I'm I'm kind of desperately need and I kind of have to go out looking for it and, and I sort of think I might be there you know I, I, I as I said near the beginning I, I'm sort of open to the possibility of relationships and dating but I'm also sort of thinking you know, maybe, maybe that's it for me now. I don't know. And I'm, I'm okay with that. I have a lot of knitting to get through. I have a lot of crap movies to watch on Netflix. <laughs> you know, I kind of, I, if, if it, hey, there's some quality content on there these days. I, I go for the, the really poor content, like the really crappy, <laughs> crappy Quality's horror in the movies. Eye of the <laughs> but I actually have a question for you too, and actually for for both of you, and I could weigh in as well. Um, and, and we could probably weigh in on this, maybe some from our professional 
backgrounds, what we know academically, but also I would imagine certainly from our personal experiences. So Rebecca, when you had talked about these signs that your gut was telling you that maybe you just didn't listen to in the moment that were more obvious in hindsight, you know, I can imagine a sizable quantity of our listeners hearing that and their heart sinking, because I think so many of us don't believe we have gut instincts. And, and so I'm curious ideas you guys have about how we would get in touch with a gut instinct to figure out, is that a gut instinct? Um, is that what's talking to me right now? And you know, uh, one, one thing that I immediately thought of was a branch of psychology I think it's eco-psychology. Certainly I know about eco-therapy and I have a friend who works in that field and she talks about, and her work revolves around being out in nature as a way to get in touch. You know, Rebecca, I think you had said about how technology has evolved so fast, but we, the more we rely on technology, the less we are in touch with maybe our more basic physical instincts. We, we might get out of practice with those. I love what I've learned from eco-psychology about connecting with nature. And so that's one that I know is both supported by the research and that I find personally advantageous. I will, um, I guess, brag for a minute, although I, I would like to think I earned this. I just took a big trip. I had a milestone or have a milestone birthday coming up. And so I decided to go big for this birthday. And I took a trip to Kauai in Hawaii. And um, and there were a couple instances I had there where I really was aware of how different it is when you have to be in touch with the world around you to pay attention to how your body is responding to that. One was they're famous there for doing helicopter tours through the canyons, through some of the beautiful sites. And I did not do a helicopter tour, but I did do a hike at one place where a helicopter tour was also going through. And I had this moment of contrast where I realized they're seeing these beautiful sites from the air, from a, a piece of equipment. Um, and I'm sure it's very cool to see it from that angle, but I'm walking in it. I'm touching it. And, and similarly, on one of my more rugged hikes I took out there, oh my gosh, I had to pay so much attention to my footing, to where it was going to keep me in touch with if something felt safe or not. And, and I would imagine those kind of activities, and like I said, I know there is some research support for this as well with nature in particular, that getting in touch with nature can help you. Those of us who are like, do I have a gut instinct? I think it's things like that that could help. What other ideas do you guys have? Or would you agree, dissent with that? Yeah, I think this <laughs> this sort of question, do I have a gut? I think the sort of person, let, let me put this another way. I think, do I have a gut? to listen to like who's that's going to signal which direction to take in in certain tricky situations sits really uncomfortably closely with anxiety i think because you know especially if you are if you're in the early stages of, of a relationship and the person that you are interested in hasn't texted you for two days where, you know, usually you're in touch sort of every few hours. I mean, that sort of thing is going to set you off, right? <laughs> or it would set me off anyway. But, you know, you, lots of people feel anxious about that. And I think that there's this difficulty with sort of answering questions like, when should I listen to my body because it's telling me something important? And when is it just going nuts and needs to shut up? You know, sort of when is it anxiety and when is it sort of wisdom? 
from you know from within so you know some insight that I need to listen to because they can both feel pretty similar right and I I love that idea of sort of going out and listening listening to going going out into nature and kind of becoming in touch with your body a little bit more it reminds me of something I I, I went on a this, this sort of organized camping outdoorsy holiday with my kids a few weeks ago and one thing that the instructor had us do was just like sit in the woods for 30 minutes or so just alone and in silence and you had a piece of paper and you kind of had to just like make a note uh make a note on a piece of paper to represent what sounds you could hear and his the point that he was well one of the points he was trying to make is like it's not until you sit in silence that you start to tune in to what's going on around you and you know you sort of realize actually it's not silent there's like loads going on there's loads that I can hear but you kind of don't you don't notice that until you've been doing it for a while and and I'm sort of no I'm wondering whether there's a connection there with what with what you've said you know we sort of we we often go through life we're super busy we're kind of there's something to attend to outside of ourselves, right? And if we have a moment of silence, we might look at the phone, right? So we're not really, there's, there's, there might be no point where we're kind of like turning inwards and thinking, how am I feeling? Am I content? Am I anxious? What's going on inside? So just like taking some time to do that, that, that sounds incredibly important. I, I guess this is something that maybe some people might use meditation for. I mean, I'm really bad at meditation because I just like think, oh God, I'm thinking of, I'm thinking the wrong thoughts, or I, I've I forgot to I forgot to listen to my breathing, or, or I'm I'm breathing at the wrong time. I'm breathing at, I'm breathing out of sync with the person doing this guided meditation. Like that's sort of usually how it goes for me. So yeah, just sort of tuning into the body. That that sounds like a sensible thing to do. But at the same time, you know, I think this difficulty with sort of what what gut feelings should I listen to and what should I ignore? You know, and what's just silly anxiety? I think working through things like that, it can be really helpful to connect with other people because, you know, often our friends are much better at saying things like, no, you, like you always do this. This is just your normal kind of cycle of anxiety. You just need to sit down and shut up. Or, you know, sort of sometimes they might say, actually, that does sound a bit weird. You know, this this thing that you're describing, it does sound a bit off. So I think, you know, we often can't, it's difficult to do these things alone sometimes. I think it, it can be helpful to have a, just like a trusted community that we can bounce things off. To chime in there, I, I'm really feeling on the same wavelength as Rebecca here. By the way, let me say first, Michelle, so I actually did do one of those helicopter tours up Kauai many years ago. And I will tell you, I don't think you missed out. Like, I actually think the way you did it, like, yes, it's beautiful. It is. But it, it was a little a little unsettling, frankly. Like, if I never have to set foot in another helicopter again, it will be too soon. Like, um, I, I thought your pictures looked much more peaceful and, and more in tune with the experience like what you're describing and you know i had the same reaction as rebecca about the gut feeling stuff where it's it's very confusing for a lot of high anxiety people it's it's very hard to know so one of the things i like to do first of all uh, rebecca mentioned meditation and i do think it's worth doing just these like 10 minute random meditations from youtube as much as possible without judgment. Like if you completely zone out for one or several of them, or you 
fall asleep or whatever well maybe that's just what your body needed like there's no there's no right way really of doing meditation and it's also a matter of habit and it takes a while and i think one test that i like to apply on the anxiety front is what would i advise a friend and that's oftentimes where the truth does come out right if somebody tells you this guy is upset that i'm talking to a cat you would probably say yeah, that's, that's kind of a problem. And it might be you're um, also thinking about what would I tell my daughter, whether you have one or not, what would I tell my hypothetical daughter? I think oftentimes we are more honest with ourselves and with the world when we look at that. And, but sometimes we don't like the answer. And sometimes we need to live through more cycles and we need to gather more evidence. And, and you can't beat yourself up too much. Like we've all overstayed in relationships for whatever reasons. And we just needed that time time to, to build that body of evidence and and that was it but um uh, i think there are these sets and yes certainly being in touch with with friends getting those um sounding boards and and having having that community michelle do you want to jump in here yeah well certainly i was starting to feel like a bad psychologist i was like let me get in here because as a psychologist i really do need to say meditation can be so helpful and what rebecca what you said about what feels like you're doing it wrong that's a very common uh, problem that people have when they start learning to meditate. And as you said, Irina, just sticking with it, learning to accept, okay, I'm not paying attention to the thing that I decided to, or I'm paying attention to something when I shouldn't be. And so definitely I, I want to plug meditation. And Irina, I also regularly with clients use the advice of what would you say to a friend in this situation? And I love what you said about what would you say to your daughter too? I think those are just two really great psychological components that we can add to this equation. But also in hearing you each speak, I uh, I thought about a couple other points I could share with our listeners about that question of listening to your gut. You know, one that I think is really important to point out is if you yourself have borderline personality disorder or have a parent or other, somebody who was an, a central adult in your life when you were young and in those formative years who you believe had, has or had borderline personality disorder. That is a disorder for which there is a risk of you misinterpreting cues that you might consider a gut cue. And so, mm -hmm. you know, it's just one of those things where certain things that are true about us mean it might behoove us to take extra caution. So if you are somebody who either yourself has borderline personality disorder or who has had an early life caregiver who did, understanding that so with that what happens with borderline personality disorder is there are intense emotions and that somebody can the same person who you rely on for care and support might also be a person who turns on you who can lash out at you with anger and blame you for things and so it becomes an unsafe in some ways an unsafe relationship particularly if it's with a caregiver but also it comes up in romantic relationships and this idea of if you're somebody who brings the exciting feelings out of me which is the oxytocin neurochemical hormone the warm and fuzzies that come out but they might come out with somebody in a time where that person should elicit the warm and fuzzies they're doing something sweet but it also might 
come out with somebody who in the past has done something sweet, but right now is doing something harmful or abusive um, because you've already associated them with being safe and sweet. And so I wanted to give that warning to those listeners for whom borderline personality may be a part of your life. And do you know the other, on a lighter note, I think, and this is anecdotal. I don't know if there is research support for this, although I wouldn't be surprised. You know, I bet part of the reason he didn't like that cat is because he knew the cat wouldn't like him. Animals have better gut instincts than people on average, I think. In my experience, I find, and look, there are some people who don't like animals, pets, and they're going to exude an anxious energy. And for that reason, the animals might not like them. So if an animal doesn't like you, it's not to say you're a terrible person. (laughs) You might just be an anxious person. But so there's a variety of people animals might not like. There's multiple categories they could fall into. But anecdotally, I do wonder if animals don't like a person and you don't trust your own gut instinct, maybe just take it as one piece of evidence to consider along with other pieces of evidence. You know, I I have to say, I hate to wrap them out, but I think my dogs are really bad judges of character. (laughs) Like, I I think they're sort of over it. No, I think Michelle is right. I think if an animal doesn't like someone, you should pay attention to that. But also don't reverse that to mean that if the animal does like someone, like that's it, they must be fine. Because I mean, my dogs are just fine with people who are great and with people who like later turn out to be narcissists. So I'm sorry, I can't give them like a, an A report card on this one as much as I love them. Just wanted to uh, you know, jump in with that. so much uh rebecca and for everyone else if you enjoy this podcast please rate it five stars so that others have a chance to listen to it as well and make sure to subscribe so that you can get our future episodes you can become a part of our community by joining the strangers on the internet facebook group or following us at swipe strangers on twitter or on instagram i would like to thank my husband carlos farini for sound editing as well as vlad kuyujuklu for permission to use his music for this podcast Bye, everyone. Thank you, Carlos and Vlad. Bye. Thanks for having me.